Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Welcome back to Not Another Mummy podcast with me, Alison Perry. They say the days are long, but the years are short. And who knew it? They were right. One minute your child is toddling around, building brick towers and playing peekaboo with you. And the next, they're a teenager slamming doors and rolling their eyes at you. But my guest today, journalist, podcaster and magazine editor, Lorraine Candy, says don't worry. Whether you're the parent of a teen, a tween or much younger, she's here to guide you through the teenage years. Mama for Lorraine, she has three teens and a nine-year-old, has written the book, Mum, What's Wrong With You? 101 Things Only Mothers of Teenage Girls Know. And it offers easy to follow down-to-earth advice, lighting the way for other mums. I chatted to Lorraine about why she thinks parenting teenagers is, wait for it, harder than parenting toddlers and about what's happening development-wise in teenagers' brains and how that means we need to communicate with them in an entirely different way. She talks me through those big teen milestones like getting a phone, social media, going to parties and even having sex. Hopefully by the end of this episode you'll be feeling a lot more chilled out about parenting a teenager. Before we get on to my conversation with Lorraine, I'd like to ask you a small favour. If you enjoy this episode, please give it a rating and a review on whichever podcast app you're listening on and do subscribe so that other episodes pop up for you to listen to. Thank you. And now on to talking about parenting teens with Lorraine Candy. Lorraine, welcome to the podcast. I'm so thrilled that you could join me today. How are you doing and what has your day been like so far? Oh, well, uh, I'm perky. I'm always quite perky. It's very busy. Just the uh, school run this morning with my nine-year-old because I'm um, one of those women that just kept having children. I'm now the oldest mum in the playground <laughs> with a nine-year-old <laughs> doing that school run with mums who, who for whom the nine-year-old is their first child. So <laughs> Yes, yeah. Well, do they look to you for advice? Are you the one kind of the wise mum who's been there and done that? I do get asked a lot of questions about teenage. Yeah, I think it's at nine, ten. It's the age um, mums start thinking, 
what's coming my way. And they become a little independent at 10, don't they? I Definitely. mean, I'm not allowed in the bedroom already. So um, they start their separation, don't they, at 10? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I've got a 10-year-old myself. I've also got toddlers. So I'm kind of, I've got that big age gap thing going on um, at the kind of the lower end. But yeah, my 10-year-old's definitely kind of just starting to, you know, creep towards that yeah. kind of teenage, teenage, which is why I've, I just thought, I just loved reading your book. So your book is, Mum, What's Wrong With You? 101 Things Only Mothers of Teenage Girls Know. And it's a guide to parenting teenagers, more specifically teenage girls, isn't it? And getting through the whole process in one, yeah. pe- in one piece. Yes, I think the unique, bit of it is that it is very different for mums and daughters. Um, There's a very different uh, dynamic going on. And and I was quite shocked by everything, Uh, not disappointed or upset, but I was, a lot of it was such a surprise when I have an 18 year old, 17 year old, 14 year old and a a nearly 10 year old. And when my 18 and 17 year olds hit the sort of 13, I just didn't I didn't realize I was going to be so rejected um, and that they were going to, it was all going to change so quickly. It does feel really overnight that change. And I, I was writing a parenting column in the Sunday Times magazine and I've been writing columns in national newspapers around parenting for ages. And I just started to talk, you know, using my contacts, talk to experts about it and therapists and authors and people on the kind of front line of mental health, um, adolescent mental health. And I just thought, oh, there's so much useful stuff here. And when I was talking to other other mums are saying, oh, well, that, that's happening because the neurology of their brains is changing. So, you know, they can't see a diabolically messy bedroom. They physically can't see it. Their brains don't register it in the same way it does with us. And once you know a little bit of those things in normal, ordinary life, it's a bit reassuring, I think, and you can relax a little bit. And, and I think we were all looking as mums to relax a bit because it's really scary, the teenage years, the, the risks they take and the things that could happen and, and the kind of catastrophizing one does in one's head as a mum are quite frightening. And I just thought what we need maybe would be helpful is a little reassuring hand saying, don't panic. Yeah. And I think it absolutely is this. It is that. But let's get this out of the way first, because you um, you say that teenage the teenage years is the most challenging part of the parenting journey. And I think I speak for all parents of toddlers. Yes. When I say, what? <laughs> Please don't <laughs> tell me that it's harder than parenting toddlers. <laughs> I, you see, I would, you would think that. And I say in the book, I can't believe I'm even saying it out loud. But yes, it's much harder than parenting toddlers. And you've got, I mean, I had, you know, four under nine at one point. So I, you know, and, and when I had the first two, they were 16 months apart. So I had two toddlers at the same time. And I have to say, this is much more of a massive emotional roller coaster. And, you know, toddlers go to bed. They, they inevitably have some time back to Do yourself. Do they? Do they? Well, my, <laughs> my, my 14 year old, he didn't sleep through the night until he was five. So, but they, they do get up and down again. And they're kind of, you sort of think, oh, well, I, I can, f- they feed themselves, but the tod- teenagers do feed themselves, but they just, they make the most god awful mess. They're disorganized. They're chaotic. They feed themselves terrible things that you can't control. You know, there's no ice cubes of spinach for them. It's all just super noodles all over them. They eat at four o'clock in the morning or two o'clock in the morning. They set fire to things. Their kind of rapid change causes so much change rather than it's, it's just giant chaos all the time. I mean, I'm generalizing because I'm sure some people's teenagers are, are probably quite organized, but I've generally found in the mums I've talk 
to and the experts I've spoken to, it's just every every day is completely unexpected. You really have no idea what is happening. And then you might think you finally made it to bed at sort of 10 o'clock and you're exhausted. And then one of them will wander in to have a really long, epic conversation with you for ages. And then another one will come in at three o'clock in the morning after you finally managed to get one of them into bed. And then, and then, <laughs> and then one of them will start cooking at two o'clock in the morning and set fire to the, it's just, it's just almost constant. And it's, it's more emotionally stressful because. You you can grab a teenager's a toddler's hand before they run across the road. You can strap them into their buggies, but the moment that teenager goes out the door, you've lost all sense of keeping them safe, and that's a terrifying thought sometimes. And of course, they have to go out and do it, but you know sometimes they go out and do things that are really not safe and and haven't kept them safe. So you know it's that's what's more time consuming, and they're real time thieves as well. You know they'll want something and it'll have to be done now, and it's immediate, and it would be quite complicated to do. <laughs> <laughs> and there's a lot of asks that you don't get with toddlers. You're just really looking after toddlers. With teenagers, you're kind of curiously being around them, watching them try to look after themselves. Yeah, yeah. So what you're saying really is if there was a game of parenting top trumps, yes. these teenage years would yeah. win on, on stress. Yes, the teenage years would definitely be the top trump. That would be the winning card. Um, and as I say, I wrote the book because that was quite a shock to me. You know, the whole premise of the book is you thought it would get easier actually oddly it's more challenging yeah um and it seems like a slightly cruel twist of fate that a lot of women are parenting teenagers as they're going through midlife when hormones are raging in you as well as in your children i mean that's that's got to be hard well it's the perfect storm of um unpredictable rage really i mean the you know estrogen is like petrol for women it's in is an estrogen receptor in every part of our body so as it starts to fluctuate or decrease then we don't function properly and that's a natural thing that happens and you know i'm a huge advocate of hrt and women being believed about their symptoms but it affects how you think it affects your cognitive skills it gives you brain fog it gives you depression it gives you anxiety it can make you dizzy it can it can make you extraordinarily exhausted so all of this is kind of happening i was 45 46 when my perimenopause which happens leading into the full menopause started uh, just as my girls hit teenage now they're full of hormones and actually there's a chapter in the book you you know if you're a mum of a teen teenage girl you've really got to find out about hormones and how it affects them on a day-to-day basis because there's so much science around it and it really does affect their thinking and their brains developing and estrogens contributing to that and progesterone and testosterone so all of that is happening at the same time and one of the things that happens with and it's recognized a kind of medical symptom with women in midlife is is an an absolute fury and rage And it's quite hard when you're in the place of fury and rage before you get your HRT to be patient about the lids not being left on four point pints of milk that you, when you pick it up, it flies all over your face and you're covered in milk before you go trying to go to work. And all of that, you, this is the small stuff you shouldn't be sweating as a parent. But actually, when you're kind of in that rage filled state, it does make you quite cross. And obviously, teenage girls lose their temper quite quickly as well. So it's quite, it's a, you know, you just both have to sort of recognize what's going on. And once you know it, I think you can take a step back from it and put in a few mechanisms and thought and tools to to stop you both reacting in the same way. And you talk about in the book that you describe, um, you know, I guess being, being, 
questioned by one of your daughters like what is the point of you yeah. and you kind of sitting on the on the bottom step of the stairs kind of thinking well what is the what point is of the me point of me I know that's it you get you do a bit of melancholy death maths as well when you hit to about 45 you think well this is it I'm halfway through if I want to make big change or anything that I haven't done you know I kind of get got to get on with it and do it now so and and then you may be questioning but why what am I doing the right thing? Did I do the right thing? You do look back with a different view, I think, once you get to your mid-40s. And, and you, are, you are sort of questioning yourself, what's the point of me? And then they have to separate from you. So in some ways, they have to reject you. And they kind of have to reject what you stand for as well. So, you know, they're trying to build their own identity. They don't want to be associated with yours. Otherwise, they can't separate their own identity out from that, which is why they can't bear to be seen with you in the street. But um, they will then take a long, hard look at you and dismiss absolutely everything you've done, which I think you have to view humorously. Otherwise, it's quite painful. <laughs> yeah. And you you, um, you talked to an expert, a family therapist in the book called Lisa Dammer, don't you? And she says that the more horrible your children are to you, the better their childhood relationship with you may have been. You know, they're secure and you, you won't reject them. So that's a little bit of comfort that we can take from that, surely. <laughs> yes, I mean, it's a gen, it's a generalisation because it depends on the context of the family dynamic and what's going on. But I think as your children are growing up, as your girls are growing up, you need to be that comforting, loving, I'm always there for you, has to be dropped as a seed inside their head. And then you have to be prepared that you mean that when they start telling you, you know, I mean, I've worked in fashion for 30 years and I give talks at schools. I have very close relationships with really big, famous designers. And yet my daughters would still say to me, what the hell do you know about fashion and dismiss a whole career without a thought? And I said, so they're going to do that, your girls. They're, that is something they don't know it's cruel, but they're, they need to feel that they can test all of their emotions, the worst of them, the, the most awful of them and their language in a place where with the one person who is not going to reject them for any of it. And unfortunately, that's you <laughs> more so than dad in a way. And if you've built that connection, that really strong connection leading up to that, then they may well really want to test it because they feel very secure in their relationship with you. So they can try all sorts out. I mean, it's why... You know, parents will often say to me, oh, my God, your daughters are so polite. They're so lovely. And, you, you know, they, they eat everything and they so they say please and thank you. And they're so talkative and chatty. And I think, who I, have I, I have you mistaken me for someone else's <laughs> mother? <laughs> but because at home, they, they're often not like that to me. So but I guess we formed quite a close bond over the years. So it's upsetting, but reassuring, I think. And if you're doing that now with little kids, um, then be aware they're going to use that lovely bond you've made to to stretch against when they're testing out their new identity. And that must be so hard to go through. I can't even imagine what yes. that must be like when you've, you know, you've done the sleepless nights, you've done like 10 to 13 years of parenting, dealt with tantrums, helped them with friendship issues, um, you know, when they're, when they're at school and then they turn around and scream, I hate you or what's the point of you? <laughs> You know, that's, yes. <laughs> how do you handle that without just sobbing and saying, but you don't know what I've done for well, you? Well, you do go into a cupboard every now and again, or, or, or I go into our little toilet um, 
and sit there for a bit and have a little cry. And I think that's the, I think you have to find your comfort in other mums because everyone will be going through it and, and with boys to some extent. Although I found it less rejection around my son. He just, that's not something he can be bothered to do. It's of no interest to him. Um, but it's just, you just have to, that's why I make a really strong point in the book about self care. I know it's a sort of buzzword, but you have to have something you do that you love that strengthens you. I do a lot of swimming outside. You have to have great friends. You have to be able to say, please don't speak to me in that salty tone or let's talk about that tomorrow because I'm upset by what you've said to me. Or And you have to be able to really look after yourself, get the sleep, get the HRT if you're in midlife, get the exercise, make sure your diet's okay. All of these things are really important because they just shore you up with the emotional strength to deal with the kind of battering you get. I mean, sometimes they're absolutely adorable, though. I mean, the joy I get from really spontaneous moments with my girls is just wonderful. And then you can sort of bask in a bit of look at the amazing human we helped make but they are going to be quite mean that's why I call them mean ages sometimes and, <laughs> and they have absolutely you know the one rule of parenting is when they hit 12 do not expect any sense of gratefulness because they are not grateful for anything at all they won't be grateful of all the running around you've done the nights you've sat up with them the you know the standing in the shower holding babies vomiting all over you <laughs> All of that, they just don't care. They, their identity and forming their identity is such a force of nature. They don't care about anything else. And most of us know from our own relationships with our parents and, you know, you, you talk in the book about how you've chatted to loads of women, yeah. younger women that you've worked with over the years, um, about their relationship with their own mothers. Most of us know that this is a bit of a phase and that hopefully, you know, you go through it knowing that when they're in their 20s, suddenly they'll emerge into this beautiful, kind, <laughs> lovely butterfly who wants to hang out with you again. I mean, that's kind of what we're all hoping for, right? That's the dream, isn't it? Yeah, <laughs> obviously it doesn't go perilously wrong in that 12 to 17 year old bit. So from a scientific point of view, neurologically, their brain is changing from 12 to 25. That's the kind of gradual, but the main change, the rapid change when it gets taken apart and put back together again is from 13 to 17, roughly. So it's a five year rapid change. You think about what you were like five years ago, not that much difference. A 12 year old is so different from a 17 year old. That's an extraordinary thing for a body and a brain to go through. So you kind of got to bear with them. Um, but you're setting all these memories. And then when they get to, this is quite new thinking, this neurology, it's only really been studied in the last um, three or four years. When they get to 25, the, the changing has stopped. They're kind of set in a way and their memories are set and their pathways are set. So at that point, they often... And as Lisa, I mean, I do quite a lot of Instagram lives with Lisa, as Lisa will say, they then turn around and think, oh, my God, I was awful to my mum. <laughs> I must go and apologise. <laughs> and then they want to come on holiday with you and they love the things they do with you and they want to spend time. They see you as a person because they've made themselves as a person by that point. I think the main aim of the book is to is to help parents relax around it and realise it's going to be tricky and tough and terrible, but not to take it personally not to expect them to be grateful for anything you're doing and just develop your own tools around it for looking after yourself independently of them because you can't fix everything for them either. And that's something you do, you know, when you've got little kids, you fix everything for them. 
And often the transition to not fixing is really hard for parents, I think. And at the moment you realize, actually, I must listen rather than fix this. That, that makes your, everyone's life a bit easier because sometimes they're telling you about terrible things they've done, not because they want to, want you to fix it or things that happen to. They just want to get it out. They just want you to listen to them and you probably can't fix it. And actually you shouldn't because they need to learn resilience themselves. And it's hard not to when you've spent 12 years doing it. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I find it really interesting learning about, um, how you should, I guess, adjust the way that you interact with your kids when they become teenagers. You know, I love the story that you tell about having to explain to one of your teenagers why you should take off a dirty duvet yeah. cover <laughs> before putting the clean one on, yes. you know, and the research you talk about, about how their brains just operate in a completely different yeah. way to adults. They're like a little bit like goldfish. So I had spoken, I'd said, well, I'd wondered where all our duvet covers were going. <laughs> Um, because you're not, you know, I, I respect their privacy. They don't want me to go in their rooms. And I, and then I discovered that one of my teens had been just putting a new duvet cover on. When I'd said, here's a new duvet cover, she just put it on. And I went in to explain that you must take the old one off first before you put the new one on. But there, she was doing her exams at the time. So she's incredibly distracted, but they actually, just like the mess in their bedrooms, they, they're, back of the brain is developing before the front of the brain. So that that bit is, you know, the logical bit hasn't really developed. So it's a bit, it just is like a computer. That program is not working yet. It's not up to speed. So they just don't see. I know parents look at me and say, that can't be right. They must be able to see all this mess. And they must, but no, it's absolutely true. It's a physiological thing. Um, But also when you're talking to them, they often don't want to listen to you. So when you explain things, they just shut down and they're just immediately thinking of something else anyway. So often you have these long explaining conversations with them about logical things and they haven't heard it. They're not listening to it. Part of their brain is just trying to get you out of their eyesight because it's they've got other things to do. So it can be quite confusing for parents. And if you've not got that mo take that moment to just relax and, and have some patience around it. I mean, I was dumbfounded. I could confounded by it. I thought, what the hell? How could she be? <laughs> but it's the same thinking of, you know, I'm going out. Have you got your keys? Yes. E- you know, every single day. And no, one hasn't got her keys. And phones left on, on buses, travel pass lost, money lost, bags lost, shoes. I mean, in that amount of shoes that are lost among teenage girls' bedrooms as they all share everything, you know, clothes left. And you think, how can you possibly lose that? It's impossible to lose that. <laughs> but they do because their brains don't work properly so <laughs> I mean we're generalizing some some girls I mean my you know other teenagers that might not be some where it manifests or how it manifests but you know it's what's important to them I guess it's what they take seriously and do and what's not they don't care yeah of course many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out my solution is plush care PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. 
If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Um, And you say that mothering teens can be a lonely time. Is that because you miss that close connection you once had with them? Or is it kind of, you know, I always think about the, the kind of, the kind of social circle I've got with the primary yeah. school mums at the moment, but yeah. I'm aware that so my daughter's in year five at the moment. And so very soon they're going to all go off to different secondary schools. And I'm aware that you don't have that kind of school gate community when no. they're at a, second, a secondary school. You don't have that, you know, suddenly you don't take them to school and you don't collect them from school. So you, there's an emptiness where you had a moment to chat with mums. I mean, I worked, um, I had, would have worked a four day week. So I would only, was only able to do that on Fridays. But, uh, you know, in the baby years, you go to all the little classes and you, you go to the park and you meet, you know, it's the same faces in the park. And suddenly there's just nothing. There's no, you know, you've got your WhatsApp group, but you, you know, their privacy kind of has to be protected so you can't really talk about all the things and also you sometimes I you know I would and we need to talk about this as mums I'd feel a bit ashamed of some of the things my teenagers had done because you know we've all done terrible things as teenagers because we're not thinking straight and I think well I can't really talk about that because I feel a bit of a failure (laughs) around it um but actually we need to talk about the shame around kind of getting it wrong or our teens doing something because they're really learning and they are going to make terrible mistakes and they might do things that you think that's not a very nice thing for a human to do um and all of that you can't really share so you do feel quite you feel alone in the parenting bits. I mean, you, you can talk to your friends, but also, you know, everyone's going through their midlife. There, there's a lot on at that, at that point, at stage with teenagers. There's so much to organize around them, much more so than toddlers, really, in a way. And, and their friendship groups continue to be really complicated, but the stakes are slightly raised around it. Then, you know, they have their sexuality that they're discovering. Again, the stakes are raised around that as well. And their bodies are totally changing. And it just feels navigating all of that without being able to sort of, you know, there's no sort of sharing that with, you know, I remember when my kids with babies and you'd go to someone's house and it would be quite funny when they took their nappies off and threw stuff around their room and all of that but the teenage equivalent of that is totally is not shareable so yeah it is it is a bit like we need an nct group equivalent it's like this really intense hard period of parenting where you don't have the support you don't have the nct group you don't have you know the mums that you can chat to and share stories with and which is i guess why your book is so welcome because it's people aren't really talking about this as much as the real intense you know baby toddler years are they no and it's not physical stuff you're getting problems you know it's almost all emotional um you know with toddlers I mean particularly around breastfeeding I had real problems breastfeeding my first two children and it really drove me to kind of the edge of real despair and I just felt awful 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 and I think if I hadn't have had other women to talk to about that a, I would have given up and, and, and B, I probably would have had a really miserable first year, which would have been, you know, it's, it's such a special year, isn't it, with, with babies. So, yeah, what I've tried to do is, commu- is kind of create a community on Instagram where people can talk about it quietly among ourselves without naming names, just to sort of get the words out there. You know, it's really, I think also when big news stories um, come in the press about anxiety and self-harm and eating disorders among all on the rise among teenage girls and also the the kind of um, 
sexual assaults within schools and that kind of gender problems that everyone is facing in schools at the moment. I think that, you know, we need to sort of talk about that. That's not something you can deal with on your own. So I'm tr- the book is trying to encourage mums to talk about it. And I think the other thing is when you do all your little groups with toddlers and babies and things, often mum will go, oh, God, your son's adorable or your, your, oh, isn't your daughter amazing and lovely? People don't say that to other mums about teenage girls or boys. And you miss that lovely, soothing moments that you get all the way through early childhood, I think. Um, you don't get that feedback. Um, and there is lovely feedback to be had. But I was, I say in the book, and I always do it with mums as well, if we've had teenagers over and, and then I do encounter them, I'm at any point, I say, oh, your daughter's so lovely. She's so kind. I try to kind of feed that forward because I think that makes mums feel better and you, you miss it because you've had it for 12 years. Yes. Um, I would say one of my biggest fears being the parent of a tween is her growing up with an unhealthy attitude towards her body. How did you tackle this with your girls? Um, I think you start tackling body attitude really early. That's that's just something that um, one of the things that I learned from the therapist I talked to and I talked to um, therapists who specialising in eating disorders and body image is that it's really best if you can, and it's a biggest ask of all, just not not to mention it, to have put no value in what they look like, what size they are, what shape they are. So, and I mean that even in a positive way to not be saying, oh, you're so pretty, you're so beautiful, what you're so cute. It just sets sets them up to think what, you know, at some point I might not be that or I will upset mum if I don't, if I'm not that. And we should never make them responsible for our happiness. So really, if you can live as a, as a mum without putting value in it or, having any discussions about body image at all that have any sense of contributing to what they might be and what you might want them to look like so that you talk you give other things value so how logical they are the happy they are their their joyous voices or their you know that kind of thing um it's really hard ask I just think it's a very difficult thing to ask mums particularly because we are conditioned by society the context is bigger than all of us to overcome but if you can keep it out of them out of their face that is the best thing right the way up to body image other than that when you get to 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 the teenage years you just listen it's just really actively listening to them and putting you know particularly via social media putting positive role models in front of them engage with social media find those girls who say brilliant things those women who've got great messages and suggest that they look at that look on youtube you know they live on youtube they don't really watch mainstream telly anymore you know where are the places that are sending out positive um thoughts and words and giving them the right language around it you know make sure their school is engaged with it you can't protect them from it you know they're going to encounter it, but you're also not responsible for forming their opinions of it. They have to do that themselves. So, you know, there's so much, you know, and, and let them know what's real and what's not real. I think they're pretty clever and smart, most teenage girls around that. But the context of what's going on at home, the family dynamic, any issues they're facing at school, all the other emotional stuff that's happening around them is what makes them fragile or not fragile around this issue, I think. Um, and also, I'm a real advocate of looking of understanding neurodiversity, of knowing that some children, however you bring them up, are perhaps more fragile emotionally than other children and that their developmental stages are different. And, you know, some kids are really robust and just naturally resilient and some children are not and they find things really difficult. You you know, they're, 
there is the theory of the dandelion and the orchid. Some kids are dandelions, they're quite strong and, 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 you know, it's easier for them. And some kids are orchid. They need a very different kind of caring. And that's just a genetic programming. So observe your children, work out what's, which children are going to be affected more and try and listen more to them or deal with them, their issues and worries in a more sensitive way. I think language at home is really, really important. I think older grandparents have a huge sway on how um kids think teenage girls think about themselves you know you you know that, that boomer generation are quite critical of bodies and body images their language is a bit outdated so i'm always warning older relatives not to talk about it in the house so just be aware i think is you know not alert and panicky but aware all the time dad's something you know i think it's really unhelpful and i know this is something that you know people might not agree with to, to call your daughter princess i just don't think that I think that sets a thinking and a context which makes her think about things in in a diff, in in not maybe not the right right way. It's just not helpful. It's not bad. I'm not blaming parents because we we all default to a language we've grown up around. But it would be better to view your daughter from for other value her for other things without putting expectations um, of success around her as well. Yeah, yeah. All brilliant advice. Um, now, there are some teenage milestones, big teenage milestones that we all have to navigate. And um, I want to go through them and get some nuggets of wisdom from you. So things like getting a mobile phone and getting onto social media. <laughs> Those milestones, that's the big one, isn't it? That was the most difficult thing we did. So we are slightly older. So our girls, 17, 18, were the first generation to get mob- smartphones. So they had access um, to everything, not mobile phones, smartphones. So we made a bit of a mistake. We just allowed full access, which was wrong, was, you know, at least all the experts I've spoken to on that say that. And what we've done with our second two is we say, you will have this phone on condition. We can access it when we need to. We don't need your passwords, but if we are worried, we need access to it. And you don't have it in your room after nine o'clock in the evening. Um, and that's just set at the beginning. That's just set at the beginning. Because I think on your own at night in the evening, scrolling through without your parents there, that's, that's when damage is done. And, and what they can see is quite horrific sometimes. But on the other hand, there is, there has been so much research into this and there's a lot ongoing. There is no smoking gun that says social media causes all of these issues. It certainly contributes and certainly social media companies should be much, much smarter about changing these algorithms that offer up terrible things to our girls. But, and you should be involved in curating their feed if you can. But the context of what, of, of who they are while they're looking at it is, is more important according to the studies. So what they're going through at school, what they're going through at home, any traumatic experiences, then obviously it's the same, you know, everything will affect you in a different, each child in a different way. But I do think you can't leave on, on just unfettered access after 9 p.m. in the evening because that's, that's quite, I think sleep is so important for teenagers as well. Um, yeah, so I think you you just say, if you want a phone, that's fine. We are engaged with it. I know some parents aren't, but I think you have to. This is a society we live in, but after nine o'clock now. So setting boundaries, healthy boundaries around social media and uh, smartphone use. Uh, next uh, teenage milestone, uh, the first teenage party that they either go to or throw in your house. <laughs> Personally, I wouldn't throw it in your house because we did, and it was a, just <laughs> one of the worst nights of my whole parenting life. My eldest sixteenth, because you just don't want to see that in front of you. Actually, 
you know, drunk teenagers are a bit like drunk toddlers, actually. They kind of revert, regress slightly. They're still growing and, you know, it's better to, <laughs> that to happen out of your eyesight, I think. Um, but I think the bottom line is it's going to happen. You can't control it. And, you know, if you've set them up with good boundaries and they have a fairly robust self-esteem and they're quite resilient and they're comfortable within their peer group, then fingers crossed, you know, the, the worst they're going to do is, is get really drunk, come home and, and be sick everywhere. I mean, that's kind of, you know, that's going to happen. You know, that's going to happen as well. But it's, it's really hard. I think if you're going to throw one at home, you have to be there. I'm really sorry, but you do. You have to be there and, and you have to be on the door. You have to manage the numbers and you have to check the back, the backpacks as they arrive and, and as they leave. And you have to make sure that there's an, an absolute end in sight to that evening. I mean, I do describe it in the book. It's quite, you know, and I've had friends whose, whose teens many, many years ago have had parties that were in the papers. They were so, um, the whole house was wrecked. So oh. that will happen if you allow that to go. I mean, it's better to do it in a venue and just go and collect them at the end of the evening. Yes. <laughs> I think any going out stuff is about boundaries, isn't it? You want to know where they are, what time they're going to come home. Can they text you? And, you know, if they don't stick to that, then, you know, most of the experts will say that, uh, then you have to, there has to be a consequence for not meeting the boundary. And disciplining their teens is really, really hard for parents. It makes you incredibly unpopular, much more unpopular <laughs> than when, you know, it's like when you take something away from a toddler because they're going to stick it up their nose and it, they have the an kind of epic all out throw themselves to the floor. It's pretty similar in the teenage years <laughs> and you just have to get over it but you can't you know they're enormous so you can't sort of put them to bed or strap them back in their buggy yeah and I guess the things they can see to you can be yes actually a lot more hurtful when yeah, they're a teenager yeah. and they don't mean it though you have to you know you have to put the sort of yeah arm take on it with a pinch of salt absolutely um what about the first serious boyfriend that they get um, and are probably having sex with yeah well one would hope that throughout your years with your little ones, you have been talking about sexuality and sex. I'm a real advocate of that because we're in a bit of a mess in this country with sex education. We haven't changed the recommendations on it for 20 years. They only changed last September. So how you could not do that despite the advancement of social media um, as a government is is ludicrous. So, you know, there's a load of teachers, poor teachers having to educate children who know nothing and are in danger, you know, are possibly in danger around that. So you have to have these little conversations all the time about physicality, intimacy you know there's a lot of um resources that i mentioned in the book of where you can find that information you don't have to know everything but you do need to be talking to them and you need need to let them know what you're comfortable with and what you're not comfortable with because you know some parents are comfortable with boys staying overnight if there's a heterosexual relationship some are not some are comfortable with in the bedroom but the door open some are nobody leaves the lounge you know you Discuss it in advance, really discuss it in advance and then get your teenager to negotiate and agree with you because often they want you to set boundaries because they don't know how to do it because of the peer pressure they might be under. So, you know, don't be that liberal parent who says anything goes, I don't mind as long as you're happy. So, uh, sit with them and set some boundaries, listen to them, talk to them, you know, allow them to discuss what they feel about their sexuality. Some want to talk to you, some don't. But actually, the... um 
research shows, and I've spoken to three experts on, on the kind of adolescent mental health frontline about this, is they do want their parents to talk to them about it. They don't want to hear it from other people. They don't want to hear about you having sex because that will disgust them. <laughs> but they, what they want to know is that you are there for them, <laughs> whatever they do. So please have those conversations because it's really, really important. Don't wait and then have one sit-down conversation at 12 because that would be a disaster. Um, they're going to be hearing all sorts from their peer group. So you kind of have to point them in the direction of the right information. And then they can find a lot of information, but they don't really know how to deal with it. But if you've been talking to your daughters about her peer, and how she's going to deal with that and how our body's changing and you've you've helped her with all of that you should be in a kind of comfortable place if you can't do that and not everyone can then find another woman <laughs> around you you know use your village of people to do that you know I've got two incredible godmothers with my girls who are very different and I've you know, been lucky to have friendships with younger women because of my work. So I put a few people around them that they could possibly talk to um, about it if they don't want to talk to me about it. Yeah. Um, and each other, they yeah. talk to each other as well. But you just need to listen is, is the key, I think. Listening is key, right. And it's interesting hearing you say, you know, have those conversations early. And I would say that, you know, something that we've always done with, with our girls is that whole issue of consent in terms of, yeah. you know, even when they're little, even when they're toddlers and, you know, family members perhaps want to hug them or kiss them. I have never, you know, kind of cajoled one of my daughters into, oh, go on, give, give you, give your uncle a kiss and a cuddle. No. You know, to me, it's so important that they get to decide who they physically touch and allow to physically touch yeah. them, even at a young age. Yeah, I think that's really important. I think you need to empower them to say no as well. I mean, one of the other points I make in the book is give your girls a voice. You know, often we don't like it when girls get angry. We don't like it when we see them as toddlers being really physical. We seem to not mind it with boys, but we, we don't seem to like it so much with girls. That's a kind of conditioning perhaps from society. So I, I always advise that you try and give them a voice. Let them say no. Let them argue with people. Let, let, let them, it doesn't matter what people think of them. It matters what they feel because it's all being imprinted <laughs> on their behavioural, you know, and all, all behaviour is communication. As You know, Philippa Perry's book on parenting is perhaps the best. It's hands down the it's best. so practical. <laughs> yeah, and it, le it allows you to make mistakes and that, that theory that let's start again the next day because uh, we aren't going to all get it right because we haven't all had brilliant parenting and we, we haven't all, you know, we've had experiences in our lives that will affect how we parent our children. So, yeah, I think the consent issue is the biggest issue that schools are dealing with at the moment and what girls are beginning to find is that they have got a voice around it now they you know if, if teachers won't listen they'll go on social media and they'll they'll become activists about it and they want to say no if they want to say yeah. no well frankly looking ahead to the next few years i'm terrified but after reading your book oh, i'm definitely a little less fun. terrified <laughs> <laughs> I'm definitely less terrified. So I'm grateful to you for writing your book. You. Uh, Lorraine, before we go, where can we find you online? Well, I am extremely active on social media, much to my daughter's disgust and huge embarrassment because they can't bear to see me uh, breathing out there <laughs> talking. Um, so, yeah, I'm on Instagram um, at Lorraine Candy. Um, we also have, if you're thinking about midlife, at Postcards from Midlife, a podcast where we interview midlife warriors, I like to call them, women spreading the word about looking after yourself. Um, yeah, and I'm at Lorraine Candy on uh, Twitter as well. Excellent. Um, thank you so much for joining me. It has been fantastic. It's been great. Well, I hope it's been helpful. Yes. You certainly sound like you're having a 
you know, you're enjoying your parenting, and well, that's the whole point of it, isn't it? You know, it's, it's busy. That's what I'll say. It's busy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but cherish them now because they'll they'll take the cuddles now, and they won't do later on. <laughs> deserves the best and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at bowlandbranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.